This morning's message, what we learned from a vote. Can y'all see that? Yeah. And some of you are going, oh, oh no. Yeah, well, here, here's the reality of what my job is as pastor. Sometimes I'm going to have to preach on things that are going on in the church. Uh, I'm going to have to interrupt my series. I was planning on preaching, uh, starting my series in Matthew this morning, and it just didn't work out. I got to preach, preach church issues sometimes. Uh, you know, for example, uh, I'm probably going to have to preach on gossip and rumors here before too long, or at the very least, I'm going to have to have a segment of every week's sermon, uh, ridiculous rumors of the week. Um, because let me share with you this week's rumor. Uh, this week's rumor was that I'm going to fire Donald and put Etta in his place. That's the rumor. Uh, now, Donald, we had a conversation, I believe, this week where I said, I'm not, where'd he go? I'm not going to fire him for music. He's over here. Did we not have that conversation? We did. Etta, do you want the music minister job? All right, there. That rumor is put to rest. Uh, but, but that's a sermon I'm going to have to have, apparently. But uh, y'all, let me just quickly say that this is no longer the phone game. You know the phone game where we start over here and we whisper something in each other's ear, and by the time we get to this corner, uh, it's nothing like what it started. This isn't the phone game anymore. This is somebody lying to stir up division. And uh, the source of these lies needs to repent, get right with God, and quit causing division in our church. But that's another sermon. We'll save that for next week, or a few weeks from now, uh, not next week. So this morning, what we learned from a vote. Well, there's, y'all remember, how many of you remember, let me put it this way, the election of 2000, presidential election of 2000. Was that not a fiasco? Um, we, we, uh, we saw that, we sat through it. Uh, at the end of no, the day, November 8th, we thought, yay, it's over. And then it wasn't over until, what, a couple of weeks before inauguration? Here are some, this poor guy, I'm sure this is a great guy. He probably has a family and a good job and contributes to society, but this is what he will be remembered for. Do you remember hanging chads? Never, every person, every guy named Chad in the country was worried folks were coming after him because we talked about hanging Chad all the time for, for nearly three months. And then we thought the election was over, and it really wasn't, uh, and, and that was just a big old mess. Ultimately, some decisions went to the Supreme Court. Hopefully, right, lessons were learned from that election. Uh, we got familiar with uh, the Electoral College, if we hadn't been, uh, in that election, because George Bush won the Electoral College, but he lost the popular vote. You know, we, we, uh, we got a civics lesson big time right then where we see that that could actually happen. The reality is every vote is a lesson. Every presidential election is a lesson. Every mayoral election is a lesson. If you are voting for somebody, if you are part of an election, every election is a lesson. And it, it may be a good lesson we learn. It may be a bad lesson we learn. Well, I believe that today we have our lessons to learn from the vote that happened last Sunday. Turn to Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Now, uh, as I've told you before, I, I'm not a fan of sermons that jump from verse to verse to verse to verse to verse. I don't like preaching them. 
I'm okay listening to them. I just don't like preaching them. It's not the way I preach. I'm totally breaking my rule today because there was not one passage that I could go to and exegete, and exposit, and, and pull out for y'all uh, that, that covered everything that I believe needed to be covered uh, this week in talking about last week's election. So we're going to be, uh, election, vote, last week's vote. So we're beginning with Matthew uh, 28, 18 through 20. Let's see, can I see it that way? Nope, that's not working either. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, what does this have to do with a vote? A number of things. Uh, First off, every decision we make as a church should be focused on that one command. Whatever the decision is, whatever we are deciding, whether we are deciding for something or against something, we should make that decision based on the Great Commission. Are we, by our vote, fulfilling the Great Commission? And, you know, when a, a major church decision has such a significant impact it needs to be examined. And this vote had a significant impact. I have heard a number of things this week, a uh, number of comments, had a number of conversations based on this vote. So this vote had a significant impact on our church. Therefore, we need to discuss it. We need to talk about it. We need to examine it. And I believe that this vote exposed five realities of our church. I believe it exposed fear, worry, anger, division, and faith. I believe those are five things that we can learn and we can see as a part of our church because of this vote. Most of these are from people directly talking to me and saying, this is why I voted the way I voted, or this is, why, uh, this is what I've heard, or something like that. So it's not just my opinion. It is, there's some research involved here. So let's look at these five things. First of all, fear. The big fear we've had that I've heard is that the money just wasn't there for the decision we were making. I understand that. And and let me say as I'm going into this that all of these aspects, all these factors that are occurring right now in in our church, they are understandable. Okay? I I, I don't stand up here and say, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. Uh, Most of them. The third one I'm going to argue with that it's understandable. But these others, it is understandable that people have these concerns, that these are factors. Fear is understandable, that the money isn't there. That's why we're going to have this town hall meeting, so we can discuss these things uh, a bit more openly. Uh, And let me say right here that a lot of the reason that we didn't discuss it as openly prior to the vote was my fault. I will take full blame, because as you all know, I stood up here on Sunday morning and said, Don't go to the committee members and and ask them. Don't go to the staff and ask them. Wait and ask your questions on Wednesday night. I thought, I really did think I was doing a good thing. I thought I was stopping rumors. I thought I was stopping gossip. Well, what ended up happening was people who knew the truth, uh, or at least were going to uh, not exaggerate anything, didn't talk about it. But people who were maybe trying to gain some uh, support for their side, 
did. And so we, we see some things happening. That was, that was my fault. That was a poor decision on my part that looked good on paper, so I'll own that. We should have talked about it more. Because we need to talk about the fear. We need to talk about the money. Philippians 4.29, and you can either write these verses down as you go. I don't suggest you try to flip there. They will all, almost all of them will be on the screen as we move through them. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. Well, that verse right there tells us that if we need something, God will provide it. If uh, there is a, a, a financial need in our church, God will provide it. If there is a staff need in our church, God will provide it. If there is a, a membership need in our church, God will provide it. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. But what we must do in order to claim this verse as a promise, which it is, to his church, which we are, we must keep our focus on God and his mission. I do not believe God will provide anything for us when it is outside of his will or his mission. Go back to those verses I read at first, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If we are not focused on that, if that is not our delimiting factor, then I don't believe God's going to supply our needs. Absolutely not. But I do believe if we have focused on him, we will get what we need. Funds are not a problem for God. That is not an issue. Money is not, you know, God's not up there rubbing his hands trying to figure out how First Sulphur is going to get the money for anything, whether it's this staff position or to pay the power bill next week. He, he's not concerned about it. We might be. God is not. Psalm 50, 10 through 12, and I don't have these on the screen, uh, but I do have the references for you if you want to write them down. God says, for every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. Verse 12, I love this. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine. We don't have to concern ourselves with where will God get what he needs, and we don't have to concern ourselves with worrying about where God will get what we need, because God will supply all our needs. Psalm 54, 7, rather 34, uh, 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Now, there's a whole sermon on this passage that I could preach, and I have. But I'll just say here, if we are delighting ourselves in the Lord, if we are keeping our eyes focused on the mission, if we are about the great commission that he has given us, then the desires of our heart will be to fulfill that mission. And the desires of our heart will be the tools and the things we need in order to fulfill that mission. And God promises to provide all of our needs. The flip side, though, is also true. If we are not about God's mission, God will not provide, I don't even believe, what we need. Much less what we think we want. If we are not doing what God has called us to, if we are not focused, number one, on the Great Commission, number one, on reaching the lost for Jesus, I do not believe God will send down any blessings. I believe membership will move away, finances will dry up, and there are churches upon churches upon churches across our country right now closing doors because they did not focus on the mission. And God took away their need, or took away the supply for their need. 
Revelation talks about taking away the lampstand, the Holy Spirit actually leaving the church when a church is not doing what it's called to do. And I think we see that all across our country. If we are focused on God's mission, he will provide what we need. So the first thing, first factor I saw was fear. Again, words that were used to me, not just something I pulled out of thin air. Second factor, worry. Worry that this was a poor ministry choice. I've heard that uh, as well, that, uh, that, that we can't do the family minister because we, we have to do the youth minister. Uh, I, we will talk about that more extensively in our town hall meeting next week, but I do want to touch on it a little bit this morning. Acts 1.8, the Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The Great Commission is also found in an abbreviated form in Acts 1.8. And he says, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We need to understand, and I think we do, that our mandate is to reach everyone. There's no one in sulfur that we aren't to take the gospel to. There's no one in sulfur that we are to ignore. There's no one in sulfur that we are to cast aside because they don't fit what our vision of what our church should be or who our church should be reaching. So let me begin there by saying we are to reach everyone. Matthew 28, 19, specifically, uh, as I said earlier, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So that kind of encompasses everybody. But then Matthew 19, 14, specifically says, uh, then Jesus said, leave the children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven is made up of people like this. So we want to reach all age groups. We want to reach everybody. The early church reached families. That's how it began. I mean, they, the church was in people's homes. And they were reaching these families first. And then children were growing up in the faith. Guys like Timothy were raised uh, by godly mother and, a, and a, a pagan father, and yet was raised in a godly home and ended up becoming a pastor because the, the family was reached. But let me tell you, if there is any fear, if there is any concern that we will not forsake youth and children's ministries. But we do want to have a firm, solid foundation of ministry, of opportunity, of evangelism, of, a, of gospel outreach, of discipleship across the board in our church. So that as we move up from preschool to children to youth to adult to median adult to senior adult to glory, we have taken you every step of the way and discipled you and grown you as a Christian. But we've got to do it across the board. We focus too much on one, we may lose the others. And we don't want to do that. So there's worry that this might not work. I understand that too. Y'all, I will make mistakes. I just admitted to a couple earlier. I will choose the wrong direction. I will choose the wrong vision. I will make decisions that some like and some don't. And y'all, that's, that's just kind of the way it's going to be. But we are still all called to the Great Commission. And if that's what we're doing, I don't believe we have to concern ourselves as much with the details. Fear, worry. I also heard of anger. Uh, some of the anger showed up just, you know, We've known folks, I'm again it. 
Doesn't matter what it is, I'm against it. And that's not all the anger that showed up, but that was the best way I could think to express some of the things I've heard over the past week. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 says, Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Peace and holiness. See how they go together? Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and by it defiling many. So if we're not pursuing peace, then we are defiling many in our church. I, clearly, peace and holiness go together, and if we are not doing that, then we're causing trouble and defiling many. Bitterness springs up. Y'all, uncontrolled anger is harmful. Bitterness that has lasted years is a cancer in any church. And, and, and we can see it not just here, y'all. I wish, I, I really do wish that I was just talking to this church, that this is just a, a small issue that we have here, but it's not. It is church after church after church where anger and bitterness from years past festers and, 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 and burns and, and corrupts and, and putrefies what's around it. We cannot have that. Bitterness is the fastest way to division in a church. I, be, I believe that. Fear, we can overcome. Worry, we can overcome. Anger and bitterness, those are nearly impossible. Not impossible, because my God can do everything. But nearly impossible to overcome. Because there is a willful decision on the part of the person who is angry and or bitter to let go of that. And... Many times we choose not to. And I don't know exactly where the anger comes from. I don't know exactly who it's directed at. Maybe you don't like me, so you voted no. I don't know. And that's possible. Maybe you, didn't, you don't like Tom, so you voted no. I don't know. And, and, and I'm, again, y'all, I'm just talking about this, this anger portion. Maybe that's what happened. I don't know. But I do know that anger and bitterness will rip a church apart. And, and we cannot have that. And that leads us to the fourth thing that we, I see, the fourth factor in our church, and that is division. Clearly, the church is divided on this issue. And, 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 and these three factors that I've mentioned beforehand led to this fourth factor. We are divided because of fear and worry and uh, uh, anger. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I urge you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. This is a high calling of a church. This is not something that just happens. Unity is not something that just occurs. We've got 225, 30, 40, whatever, people. That means we have 225, 30, 40 different opinions. Even if two of y'all agree on something, chances are y'all don't agree the same way. The, the, the details might be a little different. So that is, that is difficult for us to bring that together in unity. And the, the illustration I used in my call sermon of all of us pulling on a rope, but pulling the same direction. Right now, that is not what's happening. Paul is clear 
that a church is never to be divided. That is never God's calling for the church. That is never God's will for a church to be divided. If there are uh, heretical ideas, if there are immor- if there is immorality occurring, if there is something like that, moral failures, sure, there there should be an uprising. Let me tell you right now. If we overlook immorality, if we overlook heresy, then we we do have a problem, and and we need to confront that. Uh, and, and, if, and if the church divides because some people are for immorality or heresy and some people aren't, then, then that needs to take place. But these sorts of issues that we're discussing now and what Paul was talking about is not the time to divide. When Paul goes on through 1 Corinthians, he is talking about specific sins that are going on in the church and saying uh, the, the sins are leading to division and it should not be division. As a matter of fact, you should take care of the, sinful pro- the sin problem in your church, remove it, take it out, and set him aside for a while. Let Satan whoop up on him a little while, and then he will return in repentance. Read on in 1 Corinthians if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about. But a church is never to be divided. There will be legitimate disagreements. So I'm not talking about everybody is a yes man or woman. Excuse me. I'm not looking for yes men or women. I don't want my staff to say, come to me and everything I say, oh, that's a wonderful idea. We love that. You know, I, that's not what I want. I want to hear true, uh, honest critiques of it. And we should have that in the church. But once disagreements are discussed, then we move forward. And I know, and, and I've talked to some folks about this, and I, I think what I got was, well, you know, kind of your decision. Let me say this, the vote last Wednesday, if you're wondering, we didn't have to have 51% for it to pass. I think there was some confusion on that. We had to have 80% for it to pass because we were calling a a ministerial staff person. So it had to be 80% in order to pass. Historically, and I still don't know what my vote was when y'all voted me in to be your pastor, I, I don't know what those numbers were, and I think that's a good decision to make Uh, so that if y'all only voted me in by 81 percent i'm not coming in thinking well i gotta win 19 i gotta make 19 percent of the people like me uh, because chances are that's not gonna work either so it's good not to have that burden on a staff member that comes in this is a different issue i believe though one we didn't have the staff member come in two uh, the staff member is actually still here still on staff we were doing give offering a promotion I guess, for, for lack of a better term here. So I think it is necessary that you know what the numbers were. 73% voted in favor of calling Tom as our minister to families. So there is a legitimate discussion to be had, but there is also a legitimate dis- d- division to be addressed in our church. 27% said no, for, for whatever reason, whether it was fear or worry or anger or some combination of those three or maybe a, a, an adjective I haven't thought of that, that you have. The decision was made, though, by a minority, and that's the way our policies set it up. And I have no problem with that policy. I'm not up here to, to speak against that policy at all. But what I am saying is that there is division that we need to overcome. 
That should have gotten more amen than it did. Um, that's okay. That's, you know, don't force it. Uh, that's why we're having the town hall meeting, to discuss these things and to see, okay, why is there a, a 73-27 split in our church? What can we do to reduce that number? I am not going to make people like me. Not that I'm not going to try, but I just may not win at that. I, you know, for some people, I'm just not likable. You know, he, he jokes too much. He doesn't wear a suit. You know, whatever the, the, the reason is, and, and I'm okay with that. But if we have worry in our church, which the Bible says we shouldn't worry, and if we have fear in our church, and, and, and God says perfect love casts out fear, then those are things we need to discuss. Those are the things that we need to talk about, dis disagree, discuss them, but then we move forward. And, and, and let me say this. When it comes to division in our church, habitual dividers are sinful. If we have people in our church that divide for the fun of it, that is a sin. Titus 3, 9 through 11 says, But avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and dispute about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Verses 10 and 11 are the, the kickers. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, knowing that such a person, person is perverted in sins, being self-condemned. Paul begins 1 Corinthians by saying, be united. He writes to the pastor Titus on the island of Crete and says, dividers are sinful. They need to, after a first and second warning, have nothing to do with them. Habitually dividing the church is a sin. And there are churches, again, across our country, who have people that just divide for the fun of it. They don't have legitimate reasons. They don't have legitimate concerns about finances. They don't have legitimate concerns about ministry direction. They just divide. And we may or may not have some of those in our midst as well. If we do, then that is a sin that needs to be taken care of. So that's the four negatives that I saw, four negative factors in uh, learning from this vote. But there was a fifth factor, I believe. And I have also come to this conclusion by talking to others this week. Faith. Faith. God has control. Now, I, I, I don't want to super spiritualize the, those who voted yes and then you know, condemn those that voted no. Okay? So that is not what I'm doing right now. I'm only talking about the factors that I've heard. But I believe many people voted by faith for this position. Folks, I'm not naive. I look at the budget probably more often than anybody here except maybe the stewardship committee. I know financially where we are. I know financially where we've been. I know decisions are going to have to be made possibly in the future about and, and are being made right now for next year's budget. Okay, what do we do? If the money isn't there, I understand that. I am not naive, but I do commend those who voted to step out on faith and say, you know what, I don't see the money either, but I know that God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. I, I know that there are people that said, I don't understand this family ministry thing. I wish Michael had talked about it more. Michael wishes Michael had talked about it more now. But they stepped out on faith and said, yeah, I don't get this. I don't understand it. But you know what? It, 
I'm going I'm to step out in faith here and trust that this is a right decision. And some of that is, is you know, it's, it's trust in me. It's trust in God that he is speaking through me, but it's trust in my calling as the pastor here at First Baptist Sulphur and saying, you know what, I don't quite get it, but I'm going to follow here, even when I don't understand. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the reality of what's hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Y'all, a step of faith, I will say never, and I don't like to say never, a step of faith never has a visible outcome. I don't believe it does. When you step out on faith, you do not know what's coming. It is a response to God has led me here, and I don't see how the next step is going to work, but I'm going to take it anyway. That, that is a tough decision to make. I am not going to stand here and say that that's easy to do. But I will stand here and say it is the thing to do. At all points, step out on faith. I moved here from South Central Texas as a step of faith. I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't know what decisions I was going to make. I didn't know what was going to come in my first Nine weeks of being your pastor. It was a step of faith that I said, you know what? God is calling me here. I have no doubt. So I will put it all in your hands, Lord, and I will trust you for it. I will make this step of faith. We must be willing to give it all to God. And that is hard. Romans 12, 1, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual worship. We make that decision to place ourselves on the altar and we say, God, no longer... What? The lamb on the altar doesn't make the decision of what happens next, does it? Laying there thinking, you know, I'm really okay if you don't slit my throat. I'll be fine with that. And if I could vote on this, I'll, I'll, I'll vote no throat slit here on the altar. But the, the sacrifice doesn't have that option. We lay ourselves on the altar, giving it all to God. Abraham did it. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, and then 17 through 19 explained that to us. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And then Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 talks about Abraham some more. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and he was offering his unique son, the one that had been said about, your seed will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead, and as an illustration, he received him back. Abraham said, nothing is mine. God, I don't understand where you're taking me. As a matter of fact, I don't even know I don't even know where you're taking me. God only said, Abraham, get up, go to the city where I, to a land I will show you. He didn't even have a direction. How did Abraham decide that morning to go west instead of east? God told him. He knew uh, this, this is the way I need to go. And he took that step of faith and stepped out. And then when God said, take your son, the only, your only son whom you love, and sacrifice him to me. Abraham said, I surely don't get this. 
But you know what? He believed that if I'm willing to make this sacrifice, God will give it back to me. He knew long before it was written, Philippians 4.19, my God is able to supply all of my needs according to his abundance and glory. He knew that, even if it meant his own son. And then I have to wonder, if we trust God with our eternity, I give God, I give Jesus my heart. Salvation is in his hands. We trust God with our eternity, but we don't trust him with next year. Y'all, we trust him with everything. Again, I understand the concerns, but I'm willing, and I want you to be willing with me to step out on faith and say, I don't get it. I understand, I don't get it. But I want to follow God. I want to do something that we haven't done before. I want to try something new. I want to look across and see somebody younger than me. I want to look across and see God doing things in lives across the age spectrum. I want to look across and see God changing hearts across the street from me. I want to look across and I want to see God doing something in sulfur so that people are talking about not the people of First Baptist Church sulfur, not the pastor of First Baptist Church sulfur, but the God and Savior, Jesus Christ, of First Baptist Church sulfur. That's what I want to see people talking about. And if that means we have to step out on faith and get a little scary doing it, let's do it. And, and you know, David... David got called names for dancing before the Lord. As the, alt, uh, the, as the ark came into the city, was going to be placed, finally, the people had moved into Jerusalem. And as he danced in front of it, his wife told him, David, you look like a fool out there. And his response was, I will look more foolish than this to praise my God. I will gladly look foolish, folks. I'll be called any kind of name anybody wants to call me in order to see the gospel spread in this town. That is my commitment to you. It, 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 I, I, can't, I can't make it any clearer than that. So if that means I have to preach some tough sermons, I'll do it. If that means I have to stand up and say, boy, I blew it, I'll do it. But I need us to go together forward, trusting God with next year, just like we trust him with our eternity. And saying, God, you do something great in my life and the life in the, of our church. Now, I realize I've talked a lot of inside baseball for the last 30 minutes or so. Maybe you're here this morning, and your issues are totally different from what I'm talking about. You're a guest here, or you weren't here last Sunday, and you just go, what in the world? What have I stepped into? These aren't my issues. Well, they are. And let me tell you how. First of all, you have fear. Maybe today you're wondering what happens when I die. Maybe that's your fear. We all have different fears. That Personally, that's not one of mine. But maybe that's your fear this morning. Maybe your worry this morning is, does God really love me? Is, is God, I, I worry that there isn't a God. I worry that God's not as he describes himself in his word. Maybe that's your worry. Maybe you have anger. It's not anger that has grown from years of involvement with certain people or anything like that. Maybe it's years of wondering, what has God ever done for me? 
Why do you tell me God loves me when I see no proof that God loves me? Don't tell me God loves me. I'm here to tell you God loves you through your anger. Maybe you've experienced your own division. Maybe you're wondering today, can God heal my family? Can God connect my mom and my dad again? Can I connect with my parents again? Can I connect with my children again? I live a family that's divided. Can God heal that? Well, my answer is yes, he can. Because the fifth factor is the same factor you need to have this morning, faith. Faith that God can do all of this and more in your life through Jesus. My God is able to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's the God we serve. That's the God who answers your fear this morning. That's the God who answers your worry this morning. That's the God who answers your anger this morning. That's the God who answers your division this morning. That's the God to whom you must answer in faith this morning. Well, how does that work? Well, you, this morning, you need to make a primary decision. And yes, I knew what kind of pun I was making. You need to make a primary decision this morning. The primary decision for your life is, will I follow Jesus? Will I have the faith that is required of me to place my trust in him for my salvation, for my fear, for my worry, for my anger, for my division? You need to do that this morning. And the way you do it, the way you make this decision is to come to him and say, God, I confess I'm a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's me. That's you. That's every one of you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because of that sin, my wage for that sin is death. I deserve to die. I can do nothing about it myself. But God has provided a gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. I'm a sinner. I can't do anything about it. God has provided a way out. He even did that while I was a sinner. God proves his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of your darkest, most sinful, most evil spot in your life, Jesus died for you. Know that this morning. Are you worried God doesn't love you? Jesus died for you. How can you say God doesn't love you? I know life sometimes stinks, but God loves you anyway. God loves you in spite of it, and God loves you through it. Romans 10, 13, you can have this salvation for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if these are your issues, worry and fear, etc., call on the name of the Lord this morning and be saved. And finally, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can experience salvation this morning. I can't promise you that you won't have fear sometimes. I can't promise you that you won't have worry sometimes. I can't promise you you won't get angry sometimes. I can't promise you that the divisions will be healed in your home, in your family, in your relationships right now, this moment, as you trust Christ. But I can promise you will have faith. You will know whom you have believed, and God will persuade you that he is able to keep that, your faith, which you have committed unto him against that day, the last day, the end day. We trust him with our eternity. Trust him with today.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that even there is no situation, God, where you cannot teach. Lord, where we cannot learn, where you cannot do something wonderful through your church. And I pray through this time, through this emotional time, through the, this, this, this time of worry and fear and, and anger and division and, and, and faith and, and hope and God just wondering why and what and who, that you would work. And Lord, it may be painful, but we know that if we move through this in unity, we will come out stronger on the other side. That is your promise for your church. That if we follow you, if we trust you, you will make us stronger. And I pray that's what you do in this case. God, move in a mighty way in your church. Lord, heal hurt feelings. Heal broken hearts. Heal anger. Take away bitterness. Place confidence where there's fear. Place reliability where there's worry. God, take what is not right and make it right in our church. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's not just a primary decision that you must make, it's a life decision. You need to respond. How will you respond this morning? Will you trust Christ as your Savior? Maybe that's the decision you need to make. Maybe, maybe you will come to this altar and pray. Maybe there, y'all, that's what our church needs right now. And if when you get the newsletter, I'll I expand on that even more. We need prayer right now. Our church does. So maybe you'll come to our altar and pray. You'll, maybe you'll come and let me pray with you. Maybe you need to make other decisions. You need to join our church. I'm, I'm not sure what you need to do this morning. God does, and he's leading you. I pray this morning that as we sing, as Donald leads us, let's stand. You will do business with God this morning, and we will leave here a different people than we came in. That is my prayer in love and in hope for the future of First Baptist Sulphur. Let's sing.